electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning and welcome, excuse me, to Squawk on the Street. I'm Sarah Eisen with Scott Wapner today. We are live from Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Carl, Jim and David have the morning off. Take a look at futures this morning. Looks like the rally continues after eight straight weeks. Going strong here, up to 62 points on the Dow. NASDAQ pointing to an upstart as well, 24 points. S&P up eight in the early action. Our roadmap for the hour is going to begin with the market rally. Major indices, indices in the midst of an eight-week win streak. Also ahead, shipping giant Maersk preparing to resume operations in the Red Sea after attacks by rebels in Yemen. Plus a setback for Apple. The White House declining to veto a U.S. trade tribunal's decision to ban imports of the company's watches. We begin, though, with the markets as we kick off a holiday-shortened week. It has been amazing to see the resilience and the strength of this rally, Scott. Even you know, the strategists all put out their S&P year-end targets for 2024, what, a month ago? We're close yeah, to that. Yeah, they have to throw those out <laughs> and the garbage right. because of what we've done since November 1st. It, it's pretty stunning. Dow's up 13% since November 1st. S&P's up 13.5%. Now we're going to talk about all-time high watch um, because we're going to open above the all-time closing high for the S&P 500, which was 47.96. So keep an eye there as the futures look positive. The intraday all-time high is 48.18. But the run since November the 1st has been nothing short of stunning. And it's really Fed-fueled, right? And you've seen it in the bond market, too. The rally in the bond market, 100 basis point move lower in the 10-year yield. We're also breaching all the targets for next year that the strategists are putting in place. They think the 10-year is going to end at 4%. Guess what? We're below that number now at 3.9%, which makes you wonder about how much is being front-loaded for next year. If next year is all going to be about rate cuts and normalizing policy from the Fed and the ECB and the Bank of England, well, the market's done a lot of work toward pricing in now six cuts for next year. Especially when you consider that so many of the lagging areas of the market are the ones that have run so much since November. So if you're thinking, well, you're going to go into a new year, there's a lot of optimism, mm-hmm. let's chase some of these underperforming areas. Well, they're not really underperforming anymore. I, I mentioned what's happened since November 1st. Real estate's up 20.5%. The financials, which had done next to nothing for much of the year, up 15.5%, just over, you know, seven, eight weeks. Russell's um, had a big comeback, too. Small, everyone thought, Russell, small caps, play that, because that's lagged all year. Now, it's still you know, up m- much less than, say, technology, but the chart looks like this. It's a V chart. So I'll come all the way back. 22% yeah. since November 1st. There you go. Um, it's been remarkable, and it feels like so much of that happened so fast. Are there really going to be chasers left to, to get into some of those underperforming areas of the market. I think that that's going to be a big question. We'll have to find out whether earnings are going to deliver the goods. Absolutely. I think also if you look at sentiment and how far it's swung, given the bullishness, you can check the AAII, individual sentiment readings, bears going into hibernation. I have a great chart that looks at the, the fact that it's the fewest amount of bears now in the, in the market 
since 2018. They're leaving because everybody's jumping on board the rally. Now, does that set us up for some sort of correction in the new year? Because that's kind of a contrary indicator. There's the fewest bear chart since 2018. You might think, hmm, people are getting a little too bold up here. That's what Edgar <laughs> Denny is talking about that today. He says the only thing we have to fear is that we have nothing to fear. Right. right, because everybody has suddenly gotten on the same side of the boat. Goldman had a trading note today that said there are no caution signs out there, which means maybe take That's caution. That's a problem. <laughs> but there are things to fear, right? I mean, okay, first of all, 2024, I think I read this in The Economist, is the, is the most elections ever. We have the U.S. election. We have a U.K. election. We have some geopolitical hot, hotspots like Pakistan with an election, India with an election commodity exporters like Indonesia with an election, just the source of volatility, no question about it. I think the U.S. is the big one there. There is also this risk that the economy slows down too much. Right now, we're in the sweet spot of a soft landing, and the markets embraced it. We, the markets cheered the fact that inflation is your friend. It continues to disinflate and even deflate in some parts of the economy. market feels good about that. But can we really hang on to a soft landing? Can the Fed really stick it? We are seeing signs of softness in parts of the industrial economy. I think Nike's warning was take stock sold off 12% on Friday when they said they're seeing a different kind of consumer profile. And it wasn't just in the U.S., it was all around the world. So I think signs about the, to your point, earnings and the economic softness is certainly a risk factor that the market is not pricing in recession or anything slower than, say, just a minor slowdown. Though if you're waiting for the consumer to crumble, you're still not getting many no. signs of it. The early data from holiday spending was up 3.1 percent, yeah, according MasterCard. to MasterCard. Now, you may be, you know, uh, increasing your credit card balance and delinquencies may be going up, but the consumer still has a big appetite to spend. You mentioned you know, obviously global central banks and, and the Fed and still the great unknown is even Jay Powell himself, the Fed chair, talks about it on a you know, regular basis. These long and variable lags, sure. are they eventually going to take hold? He can't be certain. And, and the fact is that nobody really can. But it sure looks like now and, the, and Wall Street has placed their bets, given where we've come so far so fast in the market, that they're going to stick the landing. So we're going to continue to debate it. I think the retail sales data that you mentioned from MasterCard is pretty interesting because if you look at where the bulk of the spending was, I mean, the big winner in terms of category breakdown, restaurants. People are still paying to eat out. 7.8% jump that we saw from last year. So yes, overall, it's healthy that we, that we got a good number. E-commerce was another big driver, up 6%. Um, In-store was only 2%. Two categories were lower, which I thought were notable, electronics and jewelry. We're actually mm. down in spending. These aren't inflation adjusted, so you have to factor in a little bit of inflation into those numbers. But yes, it does point overall to the fact that consumers are still in a good and healthy place. And then you mentioned the delinquency numbers. You know, we did get new numbers from the New York Fed on, on Friday. So no, we do have delinquencies now rising on credit card debt past the, the pre-pandemic averages. We're, nothing's spiking, nothing's super alarming, but it's a trend that economists are watching because obviously... That's problematic the more we see pain. And it's happening, you know, but you can, you can parse the data through the age groups. Millennials are actually seeing high, higher pre-pandemic delinquency levels in particular versus some of the other cohorts. Still a huge appetite for experiences, as you say, yeah. whether it's eating out, traveling. Mm -hmm. A lot of these travel stocks, as you were talking, I was pulling up Expedia. Yeah. Because I know that these stocks have been on a rip of late. Expedia's up 56% in just three months. 
it's amazing because people, it's not like they just, uh, all of a sudden there was this renewed appetite to go travel and spend money on airfare and, and all in hotels and, and everything else. But these stocks have had uh, uh, an incredible run of late as this appetite remains for whatever experience you, you want to have, whether it's, you know, the, the concert goers, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, whether it's <laughs> traveling, Expedia and those types of stocks doing well. The airlines have had a, a really good go of it. Of Don't late forget too. the cruises. Best stocks of the year, Royal Caribbean and Carnival. They're in the top 10 of the S&P 500 in terms of year to date performance, up 160 percent for Royal Caribbean. Carnival Cruise Lines up 134 percent. They just had earnings last week. We talked to the CEO, Josh Weinstein. He continues to say there are no signs of decreased demand. What about the recession? What about the slowdown? What about the pent-up demand wearing off? They're just not seeing it. Now, cruises were a little late on the whole post-pandemic travel rebound, but still the amount of, of demand and what people are paying on prices, it continues to be a priority. I just keep thinking of all these other areas <clears throat> where there doesn't seem to be a, a slowdown whatsoever. It's like the, the Major League Baseball economy, Dodgers spend a billion dollars on a couple of free agents, Otani, Yamamoto. Then you've got the stake in Manchester United, yeah. which goes we'll to Ratcliffe over in the UK, the richest person in the UK, for a $6 billion valuation. Um, it's remarkable to me where valuations of everything continue to, to go up. Cer certainly, you're not getting any signs from those industries or those worlds about a pending slowdown. Valuations of sports teams continue to climb. Valuations of sports salaries continue to climb. Rights deals for all of that. As you know, you know obviously from you know, your work with F F1, the, the value of those teams, I'm sure, continues to, to go up dramatically. 100%. But, th but it's, that's, not, that's not necessarily cyclical. I mean, I think... That's in sort of a league of its own when it comes to valuation. That's in the chat GPT valuation range, which is now targeting another $100 billion, which we'll talk about that valuation-wise. But there are losers, Scott. I mean, Dollar General is down 50% this year. Individual issues and category issues, Pfizer, Estee Lauder. I mean, there's just VF Corporation challenged companies dealing with their own problems. <clears throat> but also in the consumer space and, and something to watch. I'm glad you bring that up. I, I was reading, I think it was the journal today, was talking about the underperformance in packaged foods, mm. right? Your wheelhouse, yeah, Smuckers, Campbell, General Mills, ConAg, all down 20 plus percent. All down 20 plus percent this year. Higher rates, I guess, have hurt the dividend plays. Higher rates and also GLP-1 drugs. People are really worried about the impact as these drugs go mainstream about how much we're gonna consume of packaged foods. I think that's been a problem. Also, there's there's concerns about volume growth. It, it kind of disappeared this year. You know, the whole story for packaged food is they had all this pricing growth when inflation was high, and that was a help for margins. But then consumers reached a tipping point of how much they were willing to buy on those higher prices. And that's been kind of a slowdown in the food space. Although, you know, if you're looking for turnaround candidates of lagging sectors, mm -hmm. that one is trading under the yeah, S&P valuation. Put that on the top of your list. When we return, speaking of topics, topic for 2024 happens to be among the Dow 30, not a tech stock, or what one analyst has to say about it. Taking a look at futures again, it looks like the, the party continues. Dow futures up 52, S&P futures up eight points. It's quiet trading day with some, some markets like the UK closed for Boxing Day, but we'll be all over this rally, which is going past eight weeks strong when Squawk on the Street comes right back. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, 
Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Looking ahead to 2024, our next guest top pick in the restaurant and food service industry is McDonald's. He sees value, quote, in both the offense and defensive plays. Andy Barish is Jeffrey's equity analyst joining us now, has a buy rating on McDonald's and a $330 price target. Good to see you this morning. I guess I'll ask you about McDonald's uh, first before we get to the broader market. Why do you like it so much? Yeah, good morning. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think it just works in, you know, all different types of environments, as you pointed out in the opening there. Um, defensively, if uh, the economy and, and the consumer does stall, McDonald's tends to outperform a lot of uh, the other restaurant um, companies in terms of same-store sales. And then offensively, they just announced um, at a December analyst day earlier in the month that they are looking at um, a better uh, global opportunity for new unit growth, which um, you know should propel uh, the financials over the next several years and uh, make the multiple um, a little bit higher, uh, more in line with some of the other uh, QSR companies that are out there. Yeah, if it's if it works in every environment, as you suggest, why is it lag the market this year? I think it's lagged the market for, um, you know, one big reason, the the summer sell-off in terms of GLP-1, and uh, the stock uh, got hit from about these levels all the way down to 240. So it's kind of taken a little while to work its way back up. But that, um, you know, that uncertainty over the August-September period, you know, certainly took a little bit of wind out of the sales. I think the company is, you know, regaining momentum and confidence in the investment community. I can't say the GLP-1 discussion or debate won't come up again in 2024, but, um, you know, we'd probably use that as a buying opportunity should the, should the stock weaken. I wanted to further ask you about that. Um, are we at all concerned that these are structural issues now for these companies that we're just going to have to deal with and it's just going to cut into their earnings moving forward and analysts are going to need to remodel? We don't think so in in an investable time horizon. I mean, the work we've done over the last six months, you know, just shows that the penetration of population and and again, who knows, but over a multi-year period, it's it's not going to be significant enough to uh, take out a uh, an incremental sales layer that, you know, maybe would have otherwise been um, impacted by the economy or share shifts or something like that. The restaurant industry is just such a big industry 
that continues to grow and take share from uh, food at home. Uh, as you mentioned on an earlier segment, some of the, the troubles that the packaged food companies are having. Restaurants for a long time have continued to take share uh, from packaged food. And, and we think all those dynamics will you know, allow the category to continue to grow, um, even with maybe some, you know, some impact showing up over the next several years from um, from lower, you know, calorie consumption related to GLP-1. Yeah, I mean, the story, Andy, has been that, that restaurant spending is very healthy and that that's where Americans are, are prioritizing. So why pick a McDonald's versus, I'm looking at some of the other names in your coverage, a Cava or Shake Shack, Dave & Buster's, I mean, Chipotle, all also benefit from this kind of experienced restaurant economy when the consumer's not showing signs of recession. Yeah, it's a good question, Sarah. And we do have buy ratings on a lot of those other names as well. We, we actually like the full service casual dining category uh, because those models are company-owned models. So when sales increase, you get more flow through to the EBITDA and the earnings. And in that category, we, we like names like Bloomin' Brands, Dave & Buster's, as you mentioned, Cheesecake Factory. And then we think if if rates have in fact peaked and you know we're going to start to see uh, the potential for rate cuts, some of those small cap growth companies will also perform well. And we do like Kava, uh, Dutch Bros, um, and first watch in that kind of early stage unit growth rollout, um, you know, real high, uh, high growth small cap names. Why don't you have a buy rating on, on Shake Shack? The, the stock's had a great run. It's up better than I think 20% just since November 1st as well. Yeah, I think the team has done a great job there. There is a little uh, bit of a transition, um, you know, in the CEO seat, which um, uh, I always kind of take a look at as something that I need need to kind of get my arms around and get more information on. Um, there has been an activist behind the scenes here and engaged capital that, um, you know, has started talking about a number of changes and, and other things that the company's done. They've done a great job, frankly. Um, the fundamentals, I think, have a little bit of risk, you know, in terms of um, their check average and positioning with the consumer, as well as beef prices, which will be inflationary as we move into into 2024. Um, but some of the company-specific idiosyncratic um, things that they're doing uh, should continue to help on the margins and and lowering G&A at the business, which um, which could be an offset. Andy, I appreciate it. Happy holidays. We'll see you soon. Andy Barish. Thank you. Coming up, more on this morning's movers, including Bristol Myers announcing its second M&A deal in less than one week. Taking another look at futures here. Does look like we're pointing to a higher start on Wall Street. Dow up 30 points in the pre-market. NASDAQ up 30 as well. As Scott said, here all-time highs and just continuing this amazing eight-week win streak. We'll be right back. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. 
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. ChatGPT maker OpenAI reportedly in early talks to raise a fresh round of funding at a valuation at or above $100 billion. Sources telling Bloomberg discussions are still in the early stages and that terms and valuation haven't fully been nailed down. But if that valuation holds, it would make OpenAI the second most valuable U.S. startup behind Elon Musk's SpaceX Scott, and also I feel like uh, just a punctuation mark on the year Mm -hmm. that AI went mainstream and went Wall Street with NVIDIA, the best stock of the year, up 234%. The valuation I'm looking here in 2021 was 14 billion. (laughs) Uh, In January of this year, it was 29. So as you just suggested, we're gonna close the calendar on this year with a $100 billion valuation, apparently. Potentially, yeah. Um, it shows that, but it also shows why there are so many questions about a bubble existing in, in this space that has fueled the run in mega cap stocks like nothing we've seen in a couple of decades, really. I saw an interesting stat, too, on, on that note. S&P total return, okay, including dividends, is up near 26%. It would only be up 9.5% without the Magnificent Seven. So now, November 1st to now skews, obviously, performance because we've had this incredible run in in everything. But that shows you what AI mania has meant to the market and investor returns for calendar year 2023, in large part because this story ignited everything, initially with Microsoft and the investment there. And that stock has had just an absolutely crazy run. Well, the the NDX is set to finish the year up 54%, which is its best year since... 1999, right? And, and obviously is commanding a premium valuation, 30, 30 times earnings, about five times above its seven-year average, and so on and so on. 2024, I think, is a question. Is it, is it going to be, is it going to continue to be the year of AI, or is it going to be more of this technology has to sort of crawl before it can run? I think that that's one of the questions after so much excitement and hype and enthusiasm. I would just note on the private side, you know, the story of the year on rising interest rates has been marked down valuations, harder to get fundraising, unless you are in an AI. We just reported a few days ago that Anthropic, which is a big open AI competitor, mm-hmm. was also in talks for, I think, an $18.4 billion valuation which it's not 100, but is a huge leap from where it was in its last valuation round as well. People are throwing money at these. Good question will be whether a perceived laggard, now I use that word in you know many, many quotes because Alphabet shares did incredibly well this year too, even though the narrative was that they lost ground to Microsoft. Well, Barron's with a thing this weekend says why Alphabet could be the best bet among the mag seven. Why? Because they expect them to grow as fast as Microsoft. Uh, trades 20 times earnings. So people look at it as one of the cheapest plays of the MAG-7, right? Where multiples have expanded a lot. Meta, even though the stock has had a tremendous run, still deemed to be one of the cheapest plays if you you know look at valuation there along with Alphabet. So Yeah, looking for alternatives to the Microsoft, NVIDIA's, which are the, the market darlings around AI. One more look at futures for you as we head into the opening bell. We've got still higher. Dow futures up 17. They've lost a little bit of steam here in the early action, but it does look like we are set to continue this run we've had going on eight weeks plus. NASDAQ futures up 33 and Dow and S&P futures up 7%. Squawk on the Street is going to be right back with the opening bell. 
As we head into the opening bell, one stock to watch today, Apple, a setback. A U.S. trade tribunal's ban on imports of the company's watches officially goes into effect today after the Biden administration declined to veto the group's decision. The ban, based on a complaint from medical monitoring technology company Massimo, bars imports and sales of Apple watches that use patent infringing technology for reading blood oxygen levels. The issue here, Scott, is uh, the pulse oximeter feature in these Apple watches. And if you go online, Apple has already taken these uh, offending watch models off the store. Locations are expected to open today without the latest of the Apple watches. I guess the cheaper Apple Watch SE is okay. It's mm -hmm. not part of the ruling, so it remains on sale. It's the Series 9 and the, and the Ultra 2 yes. are the ones that are going to be banned. Now, Apple can appeal. Uh, they can go to court and appeal, which you presume that they will. And we'll see what happens there. Analysts are trying to model what this really is going to mean in the big picture, like Eric Woodring over at Morgan Stanley. Uh, actually, we'll do that after the bell. All right, let's hit the bells. And the CNBC real-time exchange here at the big board. It's the internal security team here at the New York Stock Exchange being recognized for their work to keep us safe and the building safe every day of the year. We thank them, of course. At the NASDAQ nonprofit group Make-A-Wish Foundation ringing the opening bell. You were just saying, as far as the Apple Watch is concerned, not, not expected to make a huge dent, but we're trying to put some numbers around it. Yeah, analysts are. Eric Woodring over Morgan Stanley says, for every week that Apple cannot sell the Apple Watch Series 9 and the Ultra 2 in the United States, it will lose roughly $135 million in revenue, 0.1% of March quarter revenue. Not... Uh, not a massive game changer, but nonetheless, uh, something to keep an eye on when you're already wondering about where the company's growth rates are, right? They've had three consecutive quarters of, of negative revenue growth. So figuring that that's going to turn around, one reason why the stock's up 50% yeah. year, to, year to date. Mm -hmm. People are still placing their long-term bets on Apple that this is maybe just a blip until they can figure it out. And even if it's a little longer lasting thing, it's not going to have a material impact enough to cause analysts to change their ratings on right, the stock. Right, apparently they can do some software workarounds potentially here to circumvent the, the patent issues. They can temporarily eliminate the feature central to the case, or they can settle the patent dispute directly with Massimo, which is the patent holder. But I think if you were wondering if the Biden administration, and specifically the USTR under Ambassador Catherine Tai, was going to come and bail out Apple here in the last minute. That did not happen. Not, not having a whole lot of an effect on Apple's stock today. Scott, just as, as far as we open here, a little bit higher, Dow opened 15 points higher. A big driver of this entire rally has been the bond market, so I think we have to check what's happening here. A little bit firmer yields, but as long as we see that 10-year note yield below 4%, I feel like the market is pretty good with the fact that it's been a lower yield and a downtrend. And then on Friday, you know, we should just mention the latest indicator was the PCE. This is the Fed's preferred inflation report. And it continued to show progress on disinflation. We even got a negative number on that November month-to-month -month read. Core CPI or core PCE, which is what the Fed pays really close attention to, it's still elevated, but it's coming down. And it's below that 4% level. So the market, it's still the trend is your friend when it comes to the inflation numbers. And the market has embraced that. 10-year, 390. Uh, Jay Powell himself really at the last Fed meeting and the news conference front ran the number a little bit. They, he made it clear that they were expecting it to be a, a positive number. Maybe it was even a little bit better than they had uh, expected. And I think, you know, look, you, you cover this 
closer than anybody, what global central banks are doing as well. News out of Japan, uh, for example. Nobody is really getting hawkish uh, or even talking about, talking about or thinking about, thinking about really getting hawkish anytime soon. Except maybe Japan, which is so far lagging and so easy policy that it's still in negative rates. And it continues to surprise the market with how gun shy it has been to exit out of negative rates. We finally got a sort of a policy speech from Weda, the Bank of Japan governor, saying, OK, maybe if inflation really takes hold and we continue to see this trend, we'll, we'll start to normalize. But that's about it. You're right. It hasn't been a very hawkish mood or a hawkish environment. And that's what's been the primary driver of all this good feeling. And, and the big wins that we've seen in the stock markets here and abroad, you just wonder how much is already factored in at this point, because it's not just the Fed. The market is believing they're all going to be cutting into next year as inflation comes down and they try to normalize to preserve their soft landings, too. Can Europe pull it off with Germany, you know, basically in recession? I think that's another question. Hey, Europe maybe is getting a, a little bit of a lift again from, you know, what's going on in natural gas. Um, if you take a look at, at you know, where natural gas uh, prices have been, that was really a, a savior for the European economy last winter and down, what is it, down 5%? It's been uh, warm yet, weather. Yet again this morning. Well, warm weather last winter, warm weather thus far this winter has helped the European Absolutely. economy. Absolutely. Uh, given, you know, things around, uh, surrounding the war in, uh, in Eastern Europe, which, by the way, is still, you know, one of those wild cards for 2024. Geopolitics between, you know, Israel, Hamas, the war in Eastern Europe, and who knows what else. Uh, you just never know what the real impact of that could be at a flashpoint moment on, on any sort of geopolitical front. Well, it's why we've been watching this shipping issue very carefully. And there's news today. Maersk, which is the second largest shipper in the world, we talked to them last week. They're now going to be resuming sending tankers through the Red Sea after this U.S.-led coalition began providing naval security against the attacks by the Iranian-based Houthi rebels. It's a big deal because before that they were having to reroute through Africa. It would add time, several weeks, onto shipping and potentially add cost as well. If they are able to proceed with the Suez Canal, it represents some sort of normalization. We'll see if it, how it goes, because there are still reports on Saturday, for instance, a taker operating off the coast of India was attacked by a drone. Um, so, so these attacks are still happening, but now we have this U.S.-led coalition in place to try to stop it. So maybe we can see some stabilization in shipping rates. And those worries about inflation flaring up again yeah. and what that was going to do, maybe that, put, that calms this down a little bit. But, well, but BP is still not doing it, and we're still waiting for some other big shipping giants as well. They're still not going through what container, that channel. Container prices had surged to, what, $10,000? $10, so you get 30, yeah. 30% of global container traffic. Not total trade, but container traffic goes through the Suez, which is why it is so important to get traffic moving in some sort of normal way uh, through there to relieve uh, some of those concerns as well. Uh, international news as well. You want to talk Intel? Sure. Uh, as Israel grants Intel uh, $3 billion for a chip mm -hmm. factory there. Intel's been an interesting stock. Uh, doesn't get talked about nearly as much as the, the MAG-7. But it's had a nice comeback. It has had a nice comeback. I'm going to pull it up. We can take a look at what those shares have done, because I think it's one of the better performing yeah, uh, sure. technology stocks. There's three months up 44 percent. Gives you an idea. That it's not just a mag seven world and everybody's living in it. Some other stocks, you know, have done quite well. Broadcom, uh, for example, which is deemed to be a cheaper way to play AI than NVIDIA. You know, Broadcom's had a big run, too. The multiples expanded in a, a good amount in that run. But 
This is interesting news regarding uh, Intel, which is giving those shares a bunch. Yeah, it's boost. also getting, you know, planning to get grants as well from the U.S., uh, from the CHIPS Act to build its factory in Ohio, which is obviously a big deal. Just before we button up the international conversation, Scott, I am watching Brent crude oil, which is higher this morning. It's up about 2.5%, WTI up 26 It's also had a nice run just in the last few weeks here on improving financial conditions overall, thoughts about improving demand uh, as well. But, but you also have to watch the geopolitics. And when you have Iran entering the story uh, when it comes to Israel-Hamas, so far it hasn't been in a big way, but we, but we watch the headlines because, of course, Iran is the major oil producer and potential impact on prices. You don't want to mention the, the falling dollar? I'll give you a big fat dollar. pitch there, yeah. right? Because it's been down. I mean, commodities have been, you know, up, and there's obviously the relationship there. So we're going to see what happens with this uh, more dovish central bank uh, here in the United States if the dollar continues to decline. So dollars down. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Thank I you for you teeing me up. Down 1.8 percent <laughs> this month, and that's a big move for a dollar and you know month to date. And it's been on the back of lower Treasury yields. Dollar follows yields lower mm -hmm. and had been running up on higher rates. And we're totally reversing that. It's good for liquidity. It's good for the whole risk on trade. Everybody seems to want the weaker dollar. However, it's a relative trade. So if the Federal Reserve is more dovish than the European Central Bank and the Bank of England, then the dollar can continue to weaken. And so far, it has sounded more dovish. But Europe's economy arguably is in worse shape than the U.S. economy. So if, the, if Europe has to cut rates first or cut rates bigger, then that could reverse a little bit. So dovish central banks not necessarily completely uh, mean a weaker dollar. I think we have to look at the relative performance of the economies as well. And the U.S. has been doing better. Just the Fed has been more willing to talk about cuts. Yeah, there's the move on your screen. I mean, what the euro's done versus um, versus the dollar. Of it's late, helpful, back up it's to helpful for all those multinationals. They complained about it all year long with, on the run-up in rates and the, the strength of the U.S. dollar. No question they'll get relief from this move weaker on the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. As far as other uh, movers we're watching, Scott just mentioned some of the winners you know, of the year, which continue to, to make highs here. NVIDIA's up another percent. Meta continues to be higher. These are the best stocks of the year. And I know in the sports world, we were, we were both watching this Manchester United deal. You, you think it's a big deal. Why? Well, it is a big deal um, because these teams don't change any sort of ownership all that often. Now the Glazer family is going to keep control, but this is a 25% uh, stake. I just think it just underscores where valuations are going for the most valuable and important and iconic sports properties around the world. Uh, <laughs> Manchester United certainly is one of those, um, even though their performance of late on the pitch hasn't really, <clears throat> excuse me, matched what the valuation has done off uh, off pitch. But you've had, you know, some of the most iconic players uh, wear those kits, uh, whether it's Beckham or Ronaldo or <clears throat> a countless number of other of the most iconic soccer stars throughout history uh, have played for that franchise. And I said earlier, the big four in the Premier League all have... Uh, U.S. ownership, Liverpool, Man U, Chelsea, uh, and, and Arsenal. Man City, of course, is owned by the UAE's Sheikh Mansour, um, and they've won the premiership a couple of years running, uh, I believe, and still are, are fighting for the, for the top spot. Uh, once again this year behind uh, Wilfred's Arsenal. Uh, I always think of Wilfred when we talk about 
Arsenal and the Cronkies uh, own, owning that, and they're, they're first on the table. Fan. Yes, he is. Um, so so this, the news here that billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, who is, who is British, is, he's going to get 25% stake of the club, $33 a share on the public markets. The stock actually has been down this year because this has been a long, drawn-out process of a sale and I think has been relatively disappointing from the original news that the Glazer family was going to put this team up for sale. The fact that they are still involved, I think people are probably not that thrilled about that and that it's, and that it's not a takeover of the team in a, in a necessarily meaningful way. Um, he's going to get 25% of the Glazer shares as well, and then 25% of the listed shares. He's going to invest $300 million into the club, going to get two board seats, but of, co of course not full control here. And Sir Jim Radcliffe is a minority owner of the Mercedes-Benz F1 team ah, as well, in case you nice were wondering crossover. Uh, about that. But yeah, the valuations, I think, to your point overall, continue to just go up and sort of defy gravity on some of these teams. Yeah. Well, you'll have, you know, also media rights, which, you know, media has obviously been in the news of late just because of uh, merger speculation. But NBA rights deal is, is coming up. Is Netflix going to emerge as a player there? So I just think the whole dynamic around investing in sports, you know, you've seen people like Mark Lazary, the billionaire investor, start a new sports fund, make uh, different investments in, you know, second and third tier Sports after cashing out at a you know with a seven or eight bagger from his investment in the uh, Milwaukee Bucks basketball yep. team, but you know billionaires continue to look at sports as a place to make longer term investments. No question about it. Speaking of, we just want to talk about Bitcoin for a second because this was the year that everyone thought Bitcoin would fall apart, right? SBF went to jail. CZ got fined a few billion dollars and had to leave his company at Binance, the titans of the industry. Forget it. Bitcoin's up more than 160%, outperforming the stock market easily. Outperforming everything. And I everything think it's the best, right? Isn't the best returning asset class there you go. of 2023? And it's not just Bitcoin, it's also other cryptos like Solana, which you know was backed by SBF, also had a pretty good had a pretty good year. You know, there's a lot of hope for, so January 10th is a, is a deadline by the SEC of whether they're going to approve the first spot Bitcoin ETF and whether that's going to drive a whole whole nother wave of demand. That That's part of it. You've also got this halving, you know, in 2024, which is this quadrennial event that limits the supply growth of Bitcoin. That's another reason people are bullish. Um, it's also just been tested during things like the regional bank crisis and some of these frauds and and Jamie Dimon saying that he would ban it if he was part of the government yeah. and it continues the pet to, rock continues to climb. Yeah, as we said, best, best performing asset class um, going. I think a large part of it is what you said about expectations of the ETF. Yeah, and we'll we'll see how that uh, progresses. BlackRock, for example, uh, that stock's up a lot. Uh, since the November 1st rally, too, as there's just growing optimism around crypto and whether you're going to have uh, more access for investors in ways to invest in those products. Absolutely. I'm just watching also Nike was looking to see whether it got a sort of dead cap bounce after a tough 12 percent down day on Friday, which was a post earnings reaction. Do does not appear so, uh, even though you have the Dow higher today. You know, the, the concern around 
Nike now is, is a demand concern because Nike gave investors, you could argue, something to be excited about, which was they say, we're going to turn up the profitable growth part of the equation. We're going to turn up margins. We've got scale. You know, we've got lower shipping costs. We're going to streamline the organization through layoffs and focus on the winning products. But the market chose to ignore that and focus instead on the lower demand environment. And I do wonder if this over the next few weeks is gonna be something Nike or athletic kind of wear specific or something broader about the consumer environment changing, even though we get you know good holiday numbers like we got today. But other companies like a Walmart and a Target have been warning about the weakness in, in discretionary spending so Nike will be important in that sense. I think Target's on my list of stocks that have done, you know, incredibly well since November 1st. I believe it's up 25, 20, 25%. Had been a laggard. It had been a big laggard. Yeah. A lot of these stocks have been big laggards. Right. They've just had this massive catch-up trade um, over the last six weeks. Let's talk Bristol-Myers sure. because they've been on a uh, spending spree. I think it's fair to say they announced another deal today, uh, raised bio $4.1 billion last week. They said they'd buy Karuna for $14 billion. Um, that space, biotech, has been a real interesting question, whether, whether that's going to have some sort of return in 2024. Piper Sandler today says that they've seen a breakout. Uh, the space is back above. You look at the, you know, the key ETFs, the XBB, IBB, uh, above their 50 and 200 day moving averages. So keep an eye on that space. Uh, as well, and other potential M&A around that, and maybe everything else, too, as you feel like there's a little bit of an awakening in, in deal has been a, It has been a disappointing sector, hasn't it, over the last few years? Biotech, healthcare in general, unless you are in obesity, basically, it's been, a, it's been not much to get excited about. Did you see the BTIG note over the weekend? Jonathan Krinsky, he likes healthcare as a, a sort of contrarian winning pick for just because it's underperformed so much for 2024. But with Bristol Myers, you know, yeah, you're right. Another multi-billion dollar deal here. I guess that you that Bristol is is dealing with some of its top drugs. It has a blood cancer treatment and also a blood thinner, Eliquis. They're both facing generic competition. So it's looking to drive growth in other parts, schizophrenia medication, for instance, and this uh, this this cancer drug business that it's buying today. Raise Bio, which if you look at Raise Bio, up 100%, obviously, on this $4.1 billion deal. Healthcare has been a big disappointment um, this year. It's one of three sectors yeah. negative. Now it's negative by a fraction, but nonetheless, it hasn't done anything. Is biotech going to have another down year after what you just said was a, a couple in a row? Uh, there, are, there are analysts who are trying to place their bets and strategists saying that it's not going to go three in a row, uh, You know, whether it's Krinsky, who, by the way, also says you can get to 5,000 on the S&P in early 2024. Now, he's been a little negative of late, more of a technical strategist than anything, but nonetheless, a lot of the bears are seemingly throwing in the towel of late, and maybe some of the technicians who are thinking you'd have a reversion to back, to give some back are, are, are changing, because their, it's broadening, uh, changing their tune. Because it's going the other way, and, and today continued. The S&P is up a quarter percent here in the early action. Energy's leading the charge. Tech is higher again. What's lagging? Healthcare and consumer staples, which have both lagged all year long. As we head to break, just want to hit bonds quickly for the bond report, show you how treasuries are faring this morning. They've been a big underpinning of this rally, the rally in bonds as well, which has taken yields sharply lower. Ten-year note yield goes lower again, 3.899. Not going to get a lot, whole lot in the way of data. We'll hit S&P Schiller home prices in just a moment. Two-year yield a little bit firmer at 4.37%. We'll be right back here on Squawk on the Street. 
NASDAQ 100 continues its remarkable win streak. Here's who's leading the way today. Semiconductors. Look at Intel. It's on top there, up 2%. More than that, agreeing to build a $25 billion chip plant in southern Israel after securing more than $3 billion in incentives from the Israeli government. But as Scott mentioned earlier, has been sort of a sneaky winner all year long. AMD is also at the top of the list today. And so is Dollar Tree, having a little bit of a rebound. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.